Today's Old Testament scripture reading is from Psalm 146, verses 1 through 10. It's also on page 2 of your bulletin. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me as we pray? God, we understand that your word has great power. You can bring uh, salvation in its many forms to us tonight. It might be uh, deliverance from our physical condition. It might be deliverance from addiction. It might be deliverance from things that we idolize. It might be unbelief. It might be fear. We pray because of who you are, that you've gathered us and you've given us your word and your spirit. You'd work tonight. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this is the second of three sermons dedicated to the idea of the Christian faith in a political season. How do we think about that? And last week we began with this idea that the primary identity that God intends for us is to be centered in political beliefs or party, but rather centered in his son, Jesus Christ. And that this unity then becomes critical for how we then can relate to politics, how we understand it. When the Nazi party took control of the German church, leader and then later martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer was addressing an ecumenical group of Christians. And he said this, the brothers and sisters who make up this church are bound together through the commandment of the one Lord Christ, whose word they hear greater than all the ties of blood, class, language, and party. That was true of the church in Germany. Then it's true of the church in America today. And it's only then you and I can actually offer something to one another and offer something to the world. We might mourn over the division we see and want to make some sort of change in it. But until the church recovers its identity in its unity, it won't have much to offer. When it does, though, a few things flow out of it. Humility, which leads to empathy, which leads to charity. Then things really begin to take off. 
And it becomes the basis for our second topic tonight, recalling our security. Of the many commands in the Bible that are repeated over and over, the command not to lie, the command not to steal, there is one that actually surpasses all of those, and it's be not afraid. Be not afraid. The Lord who says, do not be terrified or discouraged. An anxious heart weighs a man down. The righteous are not afraid of bad news. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power, love, and self-control. Perfect love casts out all fear. In 2017, the American Psychological Association conducted a survey, and what they discovered was that uh, anxiety and stress had been higher, was higher then than it had been in the last decade, and the one trigger they identified was political anxiety. In fact, you might know there's a disorder named now, election distress disorder, or post-election distress disorder. Or for some of you, pre-election distress disorder, right? And Christians aren't exempt, are we? We are not. Um, I have heard, uh, and all of us have felt at some time, you know, we identify, especially if you've grown up in a particular culture or society, you, you can't help but to begin to identify with its security, right? And so I will hear Christians say things like, well, We're on the verge of losing America. Now, usually it's their version of America, but still, it's something that's really felt, losing it to socialism or authoritarianism or liberalism. And when we fear, there's typically two reactions, right? There's the fight or flight thing. You actually see this in Jesus' disciples. When Jesus gets arrested, one of them fights, picks up a sword, cuts off the ear, The others flee. One actually flees without any clothes on. That's how afraid he is. They rip it off him and he just runs. Now the point here isn't there's nothing to be afraid of. That would be naive. There are many fears, right? We just prayed about one. Fears of viruses. Fears over the children that we love. Fears about debt. One of the helpful things that you see in the Bible is that many times the discussion of fear happens in the context of political fear. King David's fear, Esther's fear, Hezekiah's fear. We ought to take some comfort from that. That God understands the fear that comes along with any sort of political climate. And many of the promises of the New Testament that were given about not fearing, let's remember... In what age they were written? Under imperial Rome, under a ruler with absolute power, who wanted to be worshipped as a god who preyed on people. And so the Bible is well acquainted with real life and real reasons to fear. The fears are not imagined, but also the command is not without promise. Anytime that you hear God saying, do not fear, you find he then backs it up with a promise. He doesn't just leave us out there to say, come on, muster it up and stop fearing. He says, do not be, do not be terrified because I will be with you wherever you go. 
The righteous don't have dread of bad news because the Lord is victorious over their adversaries. And Jesus says, take heart because I have resurrected. I have defeated. No matter what political situation, no matter who's in office or who was on the throne, God's people have always, always had good hope for security. And they do today. Psalm 146 reminds us of that. It's two things I think it gives us. One is it helps us identify threats to security, but it also helps us identify reinforcement for security. So let's look at those two things together. First of all, it names two threats to our security. And we might think, well, the threat name, you know, what's going to be named are the, the pagans or uh, the enemies of Israel or who's on the throne. But actually, the threat that the psalmist points to is false trust. False trust. Put not your trust in princes and a son of man whom there is no salvation. It might seem on the surface there that the Bible's being cynical, saying, ah, the politicians, they're all corrupt. You know, don't trust in them. Don't trust in the government. That's not what it's saying, first of all, because the Bible doesn't teach that. And we often find the Bible commending good kings and good leaders. You see, the trust question being raised here isn't institutional. It's existential. It isn't institutional. It's communal. It's asking the question of God's people, what do you trust in for your hope? Where is your security really on a day-to-day basis? And it goes beyond really trusting government. In Isaiah 32.5, there's a verse that says, The fool will no more be called noble, nor the scoundrel said to be honorable. And that word, noble, is the same word translated in this passage, prince. And what it helps us to see is it extends the idea of just trusting, warning about trust in uh, officials or government officials. But rather, it extends it to the idea of trusting in people that have influence. That's what's contained in that term. Those that can wield influence on our behalf. My daughter was hiking with some co-workers or planned to, and they had to get an Airbnb. And uh, she said, uh, but we got it for free. It's like, wow, how did you do that? A couple days? And she said, well, because one of my co-workers is an influencer. I said, you got to explain this to me. You know, well, you know, I know, like I took one of those disc tests a long time. Does anybody remember the disc test? Yeah, see, most of you didn't take it. Uh, it actually came on a stone tablet that they would chisel. No, that's not true. But, you know, uh, I, I was a high eye. That's a high influence guy. And so I'm like, tell me about it. But you, you know, right, an influencer is someone that's got, right, expertise and knowledge. And they wield social influence. And guess what? They get things for free. <laughs> Just because they tell everybody about you, right? I mean, people that can wield influence, they are very handy. Good to have in your team. It's tempting, right? And uh, 
We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. In the Bible, you see people of influence can use it for good or for ill. But God is also warning against trust being and who might influence on my behalf. Why? One, because it's a mortal trust. He says, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. Uh, The Hebrew word for dust and man sounds similar. There's a little play on words happening here. The best leader, the best one, is finite and sinful, right? And limited, and most of all, mortal. Gene Healy, who uh, writes for the Cato Institute, wrote an article called The Cult of the Presidency. And he said, the chief executive of the U.S. is no longer a mere constitutional officer, charged with a faithful execution of the laws. He is a soul nourisher, a hope giver, a living American talesman against hurricanes, terrorism, economic downturns, and spiritual malaise, and the supreme warlord of the earth. Americans left, right, and other think of the commander-in-chief as a superhero, responsible for swooping to the rescue when danger strikes. Now, you might not agree with all that hyperbole, But there's no way we can debate that what used to be a very humble office has evolved, right, into something where I I couldn't imagine serving in that office because of the expectations that are laid upon you. Modern expectations. You might remember in 2009 uh, the famous street poster that emerged, and it had a picture of President Obama, and the words said what? Hope. Right? We live in a day where it's not just, will you govern fairly? It is, will you be my hope? There was a time in Israel's history where it cried out for that. It was a pivotal time where they said, we want a king like the rest of the nations. And the king they got was King Saul, who was narcissistic, violent, and disobedient. But why did they want a king? Really, two reasons. One is they wanted to see who their trust was, right? The Bible talks about this idea of walking by faith and walking by sight. Walking by sight is, I will only trust if I see it. They wanted to see it, that king, as opposed to an invisible king, the God of heaven who we read about in the psalm. When they did this, God said, they haven't rejected you, Samuel, they've rejected me. And the other thing we long for is we long for a kingdom we can see and touch instead of an invisible, growing like a small mustard seed kingdom, right? As we learned on a retreat some years ago, it's so easy for us to long to do, you know, big, famous things fast instead of small, hidden things slowly. But that's how the kingdom works. And so there's a temptation to forget that. I was reading an article by uh, conservative Pete Weiner, And this was a review he did for a book called Mightier Than the Sword. And it was uh, the story of Harriet Beecher Stowe and how her book Uncle Tom's Cabin had such a huge impact in, sh- in helping Americans uh, experience revulsion at slavery. 
In fact, that, that book had such impact when Lincoln met her. Reportedly, he said, is this the little woman who made this great war? Christians trust in often hidden in small things. God's working in ways that wouldn't be recognized in the world. It's what we see all throughout. God works through a little nation called Israel. He works through a shepherd boy called David. He works through a young woman named Mary who gives birth to a God-man. And then he works through someone with no beauty or attraction who is considered a common criminal, who is cursed and spit upon, and when he dies, basically, his followers feel like the light's out on this campaign. It's all gone. But that was the start of something great. Second of all, though, that longing for immortal hope is wanting a leader who will act worldly on our behalf. We talked about that last week. Sometimes the church wants to elect people to do their dirty business, right? Maybe punch back or conform a little bit better with the culture and its modern values. They want a leader that will move them forward that way. And this isn't anything new. Even after Jesus' resurrection, he was still at odds with his disciples politically. They said to him after he rose from the dead, are you going to now restore the, uh, the kingdom back to Israel? They were still on that track. They were still going that way. That temptation will always dwell with us. Longing to see that sort of kingdom. Again, Wayner says this. There's a threat when evangelicalism becomes a vehicle for resentment of middle-class white America. Now, any party, any Christians can be a fuel for resentment. He's speaking there about, obviously, white middle-class evangelicals. But this is the question all of us, whatever your race, whatever your political convictions are today. What would you yield for safety, a good economy, and power? What will Christians give up for safety, a good economy, and cultural power? Michael Ware said, the crisis is not that Christians are politically homeless. It was we thought we could ever find a home. In politics. Again, you heard me saying the first week, God ordained the family, the church, and the state. The state is a noble and good thing that God made. No matter how corrupt a state might be, God doesn't give up on it. But our trust is not in the state itself. It might be our trust in God calls the state to a greater performance of accountability. We'll talk more about that next week. But let me hit this one other uh, threat quickly. It's not a mortal hope, it's a simplistic hope. Trusting in a prince who on that very day his plans perish. We get security from plans, right? All of us do that. In fact, one of the candidates, right? Their selling point is, they got a plan. There's a certain security we get. Now, are plans bad things? Of course not. Bible talks a lot about plans. But it also says... That a man plans his course, and the Lord directs his steps. Christians do not trust in policies and plans. Christians trust in God. They trust in the person of Christ. 
Because a simplistic hope will also lead to something else, and that is oversimplifying the opposition. There's some uh, interesting research that's been going on. Uh, and uh, it's actually a, a father and daughter team. He was a chair of psychiatry at Mount Sinai in New York, Columbia University. Uh, their, their names are the Gormans. But they've done this brain research on the buzz people get when they process information that supports their point of view. It might be, you know, like a referee goes your way, or it might be extreme partisanship, but we get a buzz from that, right? There's something that happens. But there's also a threat of fairness that gets compromised. Because oftentimes, the way that we feel more secure is to demonize the opposition, to make things more black and white than they really are. C.S. Lewis had this wonderful point where he said, what will happen is this. He said, uh, first of all, gray will become black to you. And then you'll make white black. Why do we do that? Because we want a sense of security by oversimplifying things. The Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious ruling class of Jesus' day, created laws and traditions because it was so much easier to say, this is right and this is wrong. This is good and this is bad. This is black and this is white. It was providing a false sense of security. So those are two threats. Let's now, though, move to how we reinforce our security. The first one is determined praise. Determined praise. Uh, The scholar Derek Kidner points out that this is the first of five joy psalms. And they're psalms that are meant to communicate that when someone is a follower of God, a follower of Christ, from their life's beginning to its end, they live under unbroken blessing. There's no way you can't. Like if your view is my blessing is dependent on how I perform and what I do. Well, that, but when you understand that the blessing was secured for you by the Son of God's death and resurrection, then uh, Ephesians makes sense. Every spiritual blessing under heaven and earth has been given to God's people. Free-handed. But then he points out that the reason for the praise isn't moved. Actually contained in this meaning is, and you can see it you know, by the emphasis, he's saying, I mean to praise God. I'm determined to praise God. I'm dedicated to praise God, especially in tough times. Especially in hard, difficult times. Whatever political climate we're in, well, let me say this. Your sense of security will come from your ability to praise. It will. Joy and trust, security and confidence, inextricably bound to praise. But that praise isn't just, again, mustered up. It depends on your news source. And now you're thinking, oh, no, I knew he was going to cross the line at some point. Forbes had mentioned, uh, Forbes recently uh, quoting uh, a recent Pew survey, and this won't surprise any of you, that 55% of adults get their news from social media, often or sometimes. 
the average person spends two and a half hours online. Now, this is not my point, that social media or online news is inherently just going to be tainted. Listen, any vehicle for news can be tainted, right? But it does mean a couple things. One is we tend to get news now in a soundbite form, right? And we also get news which is curated for us. So uh, earlier this fall, I was shopping in uh, the Trader Joe's near my house. It's a bit smaller of a Trader Joe's. And I was in there looking for something, and uh, I, I couldn't find it, and went up to the nice uh, people working. Aren't the people there just very nice? I've always had good experiences. I, don't, I just want to say I'm pro-Trader Joe's. <laughs> I hope that's not too political of a statement. I don't know who they support, who they give money to, just like the store. But I went, uh, went to it, and, uh, you know, and I said, excuse me, I'm not able to find this. And she said, uh, yeah, we don't have that here. And I said, well, that's strange. You know, they have the other Trader Joe's. And she said, well, it's because this is a curated store. <laughs> and whatever that meant, my simple mind just simply went, I'm not getting it, and I'm leaving without it, Right? <laughs> If you get curated news, you're not getting something. You're leaving without it, right? We just got to acknowledge that. We said last week, one of the best things you can do is be in regular conversation with people that have different opinions than you. But it's also to read stuff that normally you wouldn't read, right? That's just, that's not like some sort of, I just don't want us to be stupid. Don't be stupid, you know? It's just not going to serve your life well, right? and I'm grateful for the people that slug it out because just like, you know, anybody in the office, politicians get clubbed all the time. So do those that work in the media. But we need great women and men there slugging it out, trying to do good, honest work. But even if you took all the best news sources available to us on the planet, they're not enough. Why? Because they all come from the same perspective. Earthly perspective. Right? Earthly perspective. You and I need some heavenly perspective. We need some news from the headquarters. We need God's perspective that has lasted beyond just this cycle or the next cycle. But it's gone on for thousands and thousands of years. It has actually moved across all different cultures, has made sense to people of every ribe, uh, tribe, you know, tongue and race, and has enabled them to live in a way that's just, righteous, and peaceful. That's worth paying attention to. And so I, I want to just issue a little invitation. Maybe it's a challenge if, you, if you'll have it. If, if you're a professing Christian here, even if you're not, I think it would help you. If we could commit to spending like just one-fourth or one-third of the time that we spend taking in the earthly sources, and that on heavenly source, I think it would have an amazing impact. Because one, God's Word is so powerful I mean, even if you spent just 20 minutes on it and two hours in your favorite news source, it would still stick with you. Because it's just a word that stays. But for us, if we're going to be determined, praised, bent in the day we live in, we cannot be foolish enough to think we can absorb whatever we want curated and not spend time reflecting deeply 
on the news of God. I mean, this is where you see this in the psalm. Uh, Blessed is he who help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord as God, who made heaven and earth to see and all that is in them. How does the psalmist know that God was faithful to Jacob? He wasn't there. Because the testimony that was in the word of God, that's how he knew. And that faith in Jacob's faithfulness or God's faithfulness to Jacob is what's fueling him in his day. The word of God does this for us. But secondly and lastly, to reinforce our security, it's not only determined praise, but it's the name of the Lord. Earlier, Andrew had mentioned this or someone had mentioned it. You know, all of us have a name or two when we hear it, we just like exhale. I think for the church staff, it's Kara. You know, we just, Kara, you know, and just that name. Sometimes just around the house, I just say it to make myself feel more secure. I'm kidding. That's a joke. It's a joke. But our staff, you know, our leadership, and I say that in part because, you know, she's going to be leaving us. And I just want to say she is terrific. But uh, someone, some name that you and I have. Right, that brings that security. This is the name of the Lord. And as Andrew said, uh, name is shorthand for character in the Bible. Faithfulness to all generations. Especially, look at this, this is the second half of the psalm. Especially for those that are most insecure. The weak, the fatherless, the poor, the sojourner. Now there are a few things you can know about this. That category of people were often those without land. And if you were without land, it wasn't just like, I, you know, I don't, I don't get to go to uh, my second house somewhere. Right? It was your security. It was your provision. It was everything. Also, those folks were usually in that, in the Bible's perspective, usually in that situation because they were oppressed. If you follow the Scripture's logic... Oftentimes, that quartet of the vulnerable were victims of oppression. Another one mentioned is the sojourner. You know, isn't it great that the great heroes of the early Old Testament and even the New Testament were all aliens and foreigners and sojourners? They knew what it was like, Abraham, Jacob, Ruth. Now, here's my point. When you and I are fearful and insecure, our temptation is to turn inward. And faith would actually lead us to do the exact opposite, to turn outward to those that are most vulnerable. Our bent when we're afraid, and it's scary out there, is going to be to circle our wagons around the people that we care for. But what you find is that God is wanting us to go to the opposite direction because the people that are always hit the hardest when the hard times come is this group. Those without means, those without family, those without security. Psalm 72 is a a praise to the king and his coronation. And it talks about the king should be righteous, and it talks about that he's to help provide the conditions for prosperity. But it it also says he should be leaning heavily toward those that are in that bad spot who struggle. And so... The name of the Lord, our security, he enables our security to be counterintuitive. Last week I had mentioned 
uh, this quote out of the second or third century of the way the church would care for those that were sick. And then I got uh, an email from one of our elders, and this was a um, a comment from Ross Dothett, not to us personally, uh, but he had said uh, there was a report of Chinese Christians and other religions doing that very thing right now in the face of the coronavirus. In fact, they've been so merciful and so self-sacrificing, it's made the government suspicious. May that be said of us when our time comes. The security of God enabling us to move out. Let me close with this quote I have it in your bulletin. It's just another wonderful example of what God enables the church to do. This comes from a second century letter. And it's describing the Christians. They Christians follow the native customs, right? Just like we dress the same, right? Follow the native customs in dress and food and the other arrangements of life. Yet the constitution of their own citizenship is marvelous and confessedly contradicts expectation. They dwell in their own countries, but only as sojourners. They bear their share in all things as citizens, and they endure all hardships as strangers. Every foreign country is a fatherland to them, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like all other men, and they beget children, but they do not cast away their offspring. They have their meals in common, but not their wives. They obey the established laws, and they surpass the laws in their own lives. They love all men, and they are persecuted by all. They are ignored, and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are endued with life. Now that is the citizenship that I'm interested in. Right? And it comes from a group of people that are confident day in and day out with the security that God gives them through the gospel. Let's pray. We are weak and frail. Um, Lord, we confess, each of us and all of us, that I, I am so given to anxious. We are so given to being anxious and afraid. And Lord, we pray that your spirit and your faithful word would make us a different community, that we might be a blessing for your purposes. In Christ's name, amen.